Welcome to season three. Welcome to season three of this most unbelievable podcast. We're doing it, Paul. We're doing it, Sherry, and here we are again. Here we are again. So when we started season one, we had no plan. We just explored topics as they came up. And for season two, we made a plan. How do experiences go through the mind, the body, and the heart? Now we go into season three. Do we have a plan? Well, a couple of topics keep coming up. Yeah, so what reoccurring theme do you see, Paul? I see the topic of connection coming up a lot. What do you see, Sherry? Definitely connection, and also persistence. Uh, Connection and persistence. These are pretty big themes, Paul. These are pretty big themes, Sherry, and we'll do our best to cover them well here in Season 3. And we thank you, dear listeners, for joining us as we explore these topics. If you like what you hear and you want to support us, please visit the website and click on the donate button to support us on Patreon. You can also check out our website where you can learn more about the workshops and events we have coming up. Thanks for listening, everybody. Now on with the show. Good afternoon, Sherry Spiegel. Good afternoon, Paul Fitzgerald. How's it going? So what's the skinny? Um, It's going well. It's going pretty well. It's another, uh, we've talked about this before. People know I love them when I talk about the weather. I was about to say, it's a beautiful day. There's a little breeze coming in. Uh, The sun is out. Uh, It's a a beautiful day. And oftentimes my mood is reflected in those days, Hmm. I find. Especially when it's getting cooler out and darker out as we move into different seasons. My mood can sort of wax and wane with with the weather a bit, but mm. yeah, I'm doing well. I'm doing well, sleeping okay. Had a weird day with uh, with teaching, which I think we'll talk about here in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe relevant to our topic for today. But how are you? I'm I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, I mean, I've had kind of a couple of interesting days uh, that I think make you know make for long days in some ways. So I've had mm-hmm. a little bit of a shoulder slash neck injury situation, which has made my life interesting, but it's feeling better now. So I feel more human again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Human. Um, the only thing I would say with regards to what you just offered was the use of the phrase a little bit. It didn't seem like a little bit. Of a shoulder thing, I think the word you used was uh, excruciating or de- de- debilitating or something like. It I was a few. It was a few days ago. That was a few days ago. Yeah, I did use the term. Yeah, so I. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. My That's relationship rough. with pain is kind of weird, and uh, Paul knows a lot about that, so we won't get into that here on the podcast. Right. right. Uh, but yeah, I think I tend to minimize uh, pain and just like grind through it. Uh, but this time around, I actually kind of chose not to. Um, so I actually took a whole day off and uh, did a thing called rest. Um, although my rest it. included a four-mile walk. <laughs> so, well, you weren't walking with your shoulder, were you? Right. right? So, like, yeah. It's not like I was on all fours. Yeah, or walking um, on your hands or anything. Yeah, but um, I think sometimes it's not 
very easy for me to like listen to my body and say, hello, body, what would you like? What would help you to be a better human today? Um, But Mm -hmm. on Monday, I actually did. Because I'm not exactly sure what happened, but I tweaked something. um, Your left left shoulder and your left handed. So, I mean, there's implications there. It was it is your dominant. Yes. Arm. Yeah. Yeah, And so I spent a lot of time just feeling like absolutely ridiculous because like it hurt to do anything with my left hand and I want to do all the things with my left hand. Mm -hmm. And I like I can do a fair number of things with my right hand. Like I can cut like I can use scissors with my right hand. Um, But it did sort of push me away from devices for a little bit. It, It flared up over the weekend, actually. And so. Uh, much of the day, Saturday and Sunday, I was sort of offline much more than I normally am. Mm-hmm. Um, so the body has a way of tricking you into periods of rest, I think. Enforced. Yeah. It's enforced. Uh, you were given the option and you didn't take it. So now we're not going to give the option. We're just going to forcibly uh, enforce a rest period. So as it were. Yeah, that looks like that's what you had to do. Yeah, I think, well, apparently it was. So, uh, but yeah, so I think I'm kind of on the other side of that for the most part. I think, you know, I can Mm -hmm. have a whole conversation with you and our listeners can't see, but I'm moving my left hand. She is moving her left hand. uh, Yeah. She's moving it up off the desk. It is now behind her. Yeah, that's right. And now she's rotating her shoulder a little (laughs) bit. So that's not what you were doing a couple of days ago. I'll tell you that. So yeah, um, Uh, yeah, I think I was was more slunched slunched that's a new word i'm gonna use it yeah i just i was slunched in my chair like sort of just holding my shoulder yeah yeah so uh but it is interesting i think uh maybe we just will go here who knows um i think paul (laughs) paul got to kind of watch the pain kind of leave my body this week Uh uh-huh so i thought that was kind of interesting um and I think it speaks to this idea of pain, but like there was something in just the discussion of uh, sort of pain and my own relationship with pain. Like I said words aloud about that. And for some reason, I felt like a big sense of relief just being able to just like have it be heard. Yeah. And we don't need to go into the details of what those words were, but you also said, um, that those words were the first time those words had been spoken. Yes. Yes, I did say that. Yeah. In that, um, in that, in that order. So, yeah. So, so lucky man you are to be able to witness Sherry saying the first time things aloud. Yeah, lucky indeed. I mean, that's the first time that was ever stated, right? Um, there's one person on earth that can say that right now. Yeah, yeah. It's true. Yeah, um... So I think it, you know, that was a really interesting experience in a lot of ways for me to go through, like, in the early weeks of a season of a podcast that's about persistence and connection, because it's this weird thing about, like, okay, it does not make sense that I should feel better (laughs) because I took and explained a thing to a human I care about, like, why does yeah. that make me yeah. feel better, Paul? Explain yeah, that to me. I don't know. Um, I mean, there are things that I can say about that that sound 
helpful that sound good that okay, you can you can listen it. to them you can listen to it and you can say oh yeah that makes sense okay yeah that's good to know but when you really kind of dig deep into into any explanation of that it's like it still doesn't really make sense though i mean it's it's an it's an ex, ex it's an explanation but the words that you use when you talk about the explanation doesn't actually explain what is like <laughs> actually going on that causes that uh reaction and that release to to happen and uh i think what i offered in the explanation of it was just kind of something as uh, a trauma just likes to trauma likes to hide in the dark and it doesn't want to be voiced and it doesn't want to see the light of day and it will do most things it, it, it's not a it's not it's not above or it's not below anything right to to try to coerce and connive you into not speaking it 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 finds all kind of ways to stay hidden mm-hmm. and um not because it's mean but because it's scared you know and it it it, it sort of hides on the cowers under the bed avoiding the light of day and the gaze of others and um if you can coax it out you know, it's like it realizes that it doesn't have to be as afraid as it thought that it was. And it can sort of breathe its own sigh of relief a, a little bit. You know, trauma likes to likes to hide under the bed. And, you know, if you can coax it out, you know, the fear sort of goes away and it, it relaxes a bit. Mm-hmm. Well, and but, I, I mean, but again, it's like, like I said, it's like, wow, that sounds really profound. Yeah, that's really great. It's like, I don't know if I actually said anything, though. I mean, it's sort of an explanation, but it's like, I still have no idea what's actually like going on with it. I mean, the body, I mean, the body holds the score, or the body keeps the score, trauma lives in the body. I mean, we've talked about this before. Everyone, I think, who listened to this podcast has lived those truths before. There's something about it being seen and heard mm-hmm. that can, that doesn't make it not a thing but it does sort of make it what it wants and it makes it enough and it makes it uh it it lets it relax a little i don't know well and that was the that was the thing that was like a very physical response was like i it was yeah totally was. you got to witness like my body relaxed yeah like yeah as we were talking um so i don't know it's it's very interesting to me because I think I've spent a lot of my life thinking that it's kind of my obligation to hold my own shit and to not bother other people with whatever my stuff is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not exactly sure where that narrative comes from, but who knows where some of my narratives come from? Um, that's a story for another day. Um, Brain is a creative organ, right? It comes up with all sorts of <laughs> neat, fictitious, fictitious tales. To, I should to, really to be a novelist with some of the storytelling I can you do. You already are, right? You just need right. to write it down. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's really interesting. Story. But um, there's, yeah, there's just something about not feeling like you have to hold it all by yourself. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think that was kind of, uh, it's so counterintuitive to every instinct in me. Uh, the instincts in me are deal with your own stuff, hold other people's stuff. Like, I am really good at holding space for other people. I'm yeah, right. really good at checking in on other people. But as soon as the conversation turns to me, I am 
deeply uncomfortable. Yeah, right. Um, And one of my friends even called me on this on Monday night. Like, I was doing this check-in with, like, a group we're in that you're in, too. And, like, I was like, and how is this person? And how is this person? Okay, cool. Now, on with the show. And um, this person was like, well, wait. How are you, Sherry? And I was yeah. like, ugh. Do I have to? I was fine, thank you, until you asked. Until I had to talk about this me stuff. Ew. Um, But it turns out that's part of being connected to other people is it seems as though other people actually want to know what's going on with you. And you're supposed to tell them. As hard as that can be to believe you know, it was not uh, an hour ago when you and I were having a similar conversation about just that because, it, I've, you know, I was almost close to being accused of withholding evidence here. <laughs> I had a thing going on a couple of weeks ago, you know, that I was talking with somebody with, uh, uh, but no one else. And uh, that person I was talking to about it was not Sherry. And mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, it, it came out eventually, you know, in a, in a, in a context, uh, but it, I mean, everything is fine. Everything is fine. Uh, but it was interesting and, uh, I, I do that, you know, it's like, I don't tell many people much, you know, I don't think anybody hears everything. Nobody knows the whole story about what all this is about. You, you sort of hand out different parts of the, of the evidence bag to different people so they can put the pieces together to really know what's, what, what, what crimes you've committed here. Um, uh, and I think uh, I have the audacity of, to say something like, well, you do it too, Sherry. And she's like, what me, what me <laughs> yet? Here we are t- talking about that. But I mean, it's not, I do it and it's not, Oh my God, you do it too, Sherry. It's like people do this. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's we we so want to be available to others and we so want to be connected to others in the in the point of the view or the perspective in the role of the supporter mm-hmm. because i mean nothing feels to me as primarily good as being at service to the happiness and health and well-being of others students friends whatever it might be because when you're doing that when somebody is sharing their tr- trauma i mean mean, we don't have to say trauma Mm -hmm. uh life life good stories bad stories good times bad times neutral times with you um it feels good to have that connection it feels good to be connected it feels good to be the person that somebody talks to um it reinforces notions of community and interconnectedness and it it reminds us of interdependency which we have with each other and that we're never alone we're all part of a community blah 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 you know and all (laughs) that kind of cool stuff i say blah 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 but it's like super important and Mm -hmm. it feels really good to me to you to just about everyone um but then there's like trauma and it's it it doesn't want to participate in those pathways a lot of times and because you just don't want to be a burden to anybody because you're supposed to be the helper here right you're supposed Mm -hmm. to be the person that people go to and if if that is and if that is threatened by me being the one who needs the support, then I don't know. I mean, the heads start spinning these tails. Uh-huh. People are going to not think that I'm infallible and they're not going to keep coming to me. And uh, nobody cares about enough as much about me as I care about them. 
And I'm never really sure that these relationships are as two way as I think they are. So as long as I'm helpful to these people, they'll keep talking to me and they'll keep coming to me. And um, they don't, they're never going to catch on that uh, I'm this imperfect thing that is not worth even talking to. to be. I could go on, right? You could. Then this, this rabbit you know hole, you know, but it's like you, you spin these tales about yourself. I mean, you being me. Right. You know, to deflect the discomfort of it. But I'm, I think I'm not the only one that tells those stories. But no, I don't think you are. But I think what's so interesting about it, like listening to you talk about these things, right? As a person who does know you and who does, <gasps> shocker, already know that Paul Fitzgerald is a flawed man. Shocker. <gasps> he has flaws. Um, But I mean, it's so funny because like I can listen to you talk about that and I can can say, oh my God, well, of course you have to have flaws. Uh, or otherwise you wouldn't want to spend time with someone as broken right. as me. Flawed, yeah, so. Yeah. yeah, like so. Thank God you do, right? Because if you didn't, then. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's so funny how we can tell ourselves like, oh no, I have to handle all my stuff alone so that I can be available to others. Um, But then it's like the other side of that is, I think it's, you know, the connection has to run both ways or it just feels, it feels like all the other side of what you're promising yourself there. Yeah, <laughs> like, it does. It does feel one way, but not in the way you think. Um, you know, yeah. So earlier today, I definitely like, you know, gave Paul a little light, like side eye for like, really? Two weeks? You've struggled with this and I'm just- That was a light side eye? What does the heavy side eye look like? Just you wait. <laughs> Stay tuned to find Stay out. Stay tuned, listeners, right. Yeah. You'll know it when it happens. I was just like, oh, this is fascinating. But I mean, it's I mean, it's so easy for me to call you out on it uh, until the moment where you're like, we all do it, Sherry, including you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's sometimes funny how similar we are because then we can't get away with uh, certain maneuvers because we both do the same crazy yeah. stuff yeah your jedi mind tricks won't work on me right I, like i've played this game sir yeah i I'm invented this game. <laughs> game but i mean i'm not the only one who feels that way i think as well though i mean everybody thinks they're doing something clever you know it's like i'm just gonna hide my own issues so nobody finds out and they'll never be the wiser <laughs> of course you have a problem please i'm here to help and what it also does though it reinforces this narrative that you don't necessarily always know, or I don't necessarily know that I have when I do it, that everybody else's stuff is more important than mine. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm very willing at any time to put my own stuff on the back burner for anyone who has uh, the, the tiniest splinter in their non-dominant hand. You know, oh my God, I'm going <laughs> to backseat my own extraordinary trauma that I have in my life. Not that I really have extraordinary trauma in my life. Um, whatever crisis or inconvenience might be going on in my life for the tiniest little thing in in someone else. And again, you know, we're raised a lot of times with these notions of everybody else's stuff is always more important than, than yours or mine. And we're so willing and dealing with our own stuff is deeply uncomfortable and it hurts. And so I think not only does making ourselves more available to others than we, than we, than we make available to ourselves, 
not only is that something that is part of the narrative, it gives us another way to avoid our own stuff, I think. So it's like mm-hmm. you get this double whammy. I'm looking for a way to not have to deal with my own shit. And now I have one because this good friend of mine, this person that I love, has something tricky going on that I can possibly help with. Mm-hmm. So it uh, we can thank ourselves for not working on our own shit. Uh, in situations situations like that. So it's like, I was just looking for a reason to not work on that thing. And thank you for giving it to me. Right. I will reward you by, you know, by my presence in your, and listening to whatever it is you might have going on. Yeah. Well, and I think we can justify it as like, well, it's not like I'm bleeding. I mean, you know, I'm fine. That's fine. fine. I, got, I got two of them. I don't, you know, my left one's hurt and I got two of them. It's fine. The right one's okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, that was the whole thing this week. Like, okay, my left arm hurts. Cool. I'll just become right-handed. It's fine. It's fine. No big deal. Certainly easier than actually addressing the, uh, whatever's going on in your left, left shoulder. But I had the same thing a couple of years ago. Um, and it's not comfortable, you know, it was this pain that was started in my lower part of my neck and it went into my left, left shoulder and started going down my arm. And I was like, okay, so there's one of two things happening here. Either I have a pinched nerve in my neck or something that is inflaming this area and causing this pain, or I'm having a heart attack. (laughs) So I'll do what anyone would do. I'll wait six months. And if I'm still alive, then I'll know that it's my shoulder. (laughs) I'm not. So it's like, if I die, it was a heart attack. If it didn't die, then it's my neck and I have a pinched nerve. So I'll just wait about six months and see how this sort of goes. So it's like if that's my if that's the test of my hypothesis is like do I die do I die or not? You know that that tells us exactly all we need to know about uh, uh, dealing with pain, right? And the importance that we put on uh, confronting that. It's like I will literally find out whether I'm going to die before I actually so Dr. talk to some talk to somebody about this. I think I would like to recommend a different diagnosis <laughs> strategy next time. I think you should get too, a second yeah. opinion because yeah. that doctor you've been talking to. I don't think he's an expert in what you think he's an expert on. They call him doctor. It's right there in his signature on his email. Yeah. Dr. Fitzgerald. Yeah. It's like, but it's in mine too. And I don't know. I had to ask you what, uh, what what's the, you're, you've been saying this about the flu shot this year. Oh, it's, what is it? Quadrivalent? Quadrivalent, yeah. Yeah. I had to look that shot. up. Like, so, yeah. And you call me doctor too. So, yeah, I so I mean, the good thing about being a biologist and having a graduate degree in in life sciences is, uh, I know with excruciating biological detail exactly what's going on with my shoulder. It's either a pinched nerve in my neck or I'm having a heart attack. It's one of the two, <laughs> and it's like I can I can go down to the cellular process if you'd like to, but that doesn't make it any more likely that I'm actually going to go to the damn actual medical doctor. We'll do anything about it, and uh, I, I'd like to give a shout out to my my lovely wife right now because. Uh, she knows my personality as well as you do, uh, Sherry. I should I should hope anyway. And she said, if we're ever in an airplane and they say we need a doctor, if you raise your hand, I swear to God, it's over. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm a doctor. What do you need? Uh, yeah. But we we all. I mean, we're all doctors to ourselves, though. Yeah. I mean, you will self-diagnose at the drop of a hat. Uh-huh. Um, you will self-diagnose at the drop of a hat, and I sure will. Mm-hmm. And uh, help us if we ever think that we actually know what's going on. But I mean, it's what if we recouch this, right? It's like, oh my God, I have stuff going on and I really need to talk to somebody because it's really, really hard. Maybe it's just, you know what? I got this narrative going on. Maybe I need a second opinion. Well, does that change? Would that change anything? I mean, just 
having a different perspective on sharing or discomfort, physical, mental, psychological, whatever with others. Well, I think that, I mean, this is a strategy that I think I, I don't know if I learned it from my therapist or Brene Brown, or if I got it from both, but I mean, that's why I talk about the stories I tell so much because I know, um, I know left to my own devices, I will tell stories about all the relationships I have, uh, based on how I see myself, not as how the people in my life see myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. and one of the things that I think is true to me, and I don't know that I'm unique about this, um, I don't think I have an accurate picture of how most people see me, um, because I'm so busy with my own narrative, um, and, Uh, I also get very suspicious of the people in my life who don't agree with my narrative. Um, So I've had to spend a lot of time adjusting from acting based upon the narratives in my head and moving instead to fact-checking them with the human that is concerned. Um, So I'll spend time, like, saying to Eric, so the story in my head about what's happening right now looks like this. And then after he stops laughing at how ridiculous that story is, uh, he'll offer me an alternative narrative. Hmm. I think often our narratives that we tell ourselves actually are the way that we think that other people see us. It's like you don't need to ask anybody whether or not it's true because you already know the whole narrative is about how how you're seen mm-hmm. by others, I think, a lot of times. And uh, that that is one of these other things that sort of gets in the way of voicing it. It's like you already know what other people think. Uh, that's the whole. That's the whole problem, right? That's I mean, that's that's part of the whole issue of it is is that the narrative itself is the diagnosis of what other people think. Well, I th- and I think part of the issue is that the lens that we come to the subject of ourselves is so necessarily distorted. Like, I mean, even just down to like the image we have of ourselves is based upon what we see when we look in a mirror and we know that the mirror isn't actually an accurate Mm -mm. portrayal of ourselves. Right. Um, So yeah, we frame these narratives based on our own self-concept and then we have to negotiate that with whoever is in our life and what, self-concept they're negotiating right it's also exhausting paul it is exhausting it is exhausting because you're the only one that has a story about themselves out there right sherry right everybody else is just trucking along just fine just fine they deal with the truth and i deal with these strange yeah and i drive the stage we're all storytellers yeah yeah um and i think i think the awkwardness of life is trying everybody simultaneously trying to play out their stories that they tell themselves yeah none of which uh are absolutely 100% authentic in in who other people actually how what other people actually see right which is which is pretty interesting well i mean even like taking the issue that like you and i thought about earlier where like my friend paul has experienced a thing for 2 weeks and i find out 2 weeks later because he didn't tell me earlier um not that i'm going to punish him for that but like even that situation, like we can look at this, the the completely inaccurate stories that two people in that situation, not necessarily us, but other people, of course, look of like course, us. of course, what they might be telling each other about 
how that situation played out. So it's like, on the one hand, there's somebody saying, oh, I don't need to share this. I'm dealing with it. It's fine. It's not that big of a deal. It's just this little thing. And I, I've got it. It's not a big deal. Why See, would that's I what I was it? saying, Sherry. That's what I was saying. It's like. Yeah. So that's, that's exactly, a completely yeah. ludicrous story that a person <laughs> could share. It's like, exactly. You get it. Awesome. Uh, but then a different story that a different person could say was might be like oh well he doesn't trust me enough to share anything with me and so he hides things from me because he doesn't think i can handle his stuff or doesn't think i'm interested and so he expects me to be fully honest while he is selectively honest yeah, and so the fun fact is that both of those statements are simultaneously both true and false, you know, uh, which is which is sort of the wax ball, you know, something that is 100% true to the person thinking it is 100% false to the to the other. Yeah. Sort of in both ways, in both ways. Except I think I'm healthy enough to not think most of what I just said, right? Like Yeah. Yeah, you know. and hashtag metacognition, right? And right. this is where that conversation could could go if we were doing that one, which we're not. We're uh, we'll not save that one for later. Um, but it's it's once you sort of bring some mindfulness into this and you start paying attention to how do I think about things? Is this this feels real? Is it true? And you, you start establishing some methods for ground truthing. Um, mm-hmm. You can start to evaluate those things, and in doing so, better connect with yourself. Right. And what's going on truly within you. Yeah. And I think by proxy, you end up connecting better with other people because, you know, like if you pause from your reaction and ask yourself, what's if you get curious, like what's happening in the other person that led them to this series of what story is this dear human telling themselves? Right. And then it's like, oh, yeah, that tracks. (laughs) That tracks. Right. Right. So that's the experience that I was having. So uh, we've danced around it long enough. Uh, the The story without going into the thing uh, behind it was that, you know, the person I was talking to about this um, that was going on with me, we ended up for an hour talking about everything around the actual thing, but not the actual thing itself. Uh-huh. So without actually even saying what the thing that was going on was, we ended up talking about all the narrative, all the stories around it, all the how do you see yourself and how does this relate to it, the fact that you're having this thing going on. Because ultimately, it doesn't really matter what it was. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter what it was, right? The, the conversation ended up being one where I'm actually getting more pain and suffering out of the narrative mm-hmm. that I spin around myself with regards to it than it was about the actual thing itself. So the level of discomfort with it may have been like a five or a six. Let's say it's a six. Five and a half of those six was actually the narrative. One half of those, you know, one half of the one of those six was actually the actual little thing that was going on, right? That, you know, in the long and short of it really didn't affect me that much, like physically or mentally, whatever. But, oh, my God, it's this thing, you know? And the the resistance to it uh, kind of really took it over the over the top. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we were talking about in the same sort of your shoulder situation, mm-hmm. Sherry, was what is it about investigating that, and what and what is it that 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 sort of evaporates some of that resistance, and what is it about the experience itself that wants to say stay hidden, that wants to stay hidden? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, how much of it 
is not the thing that is happening, but the storytelling around the thing that takes something that's like in the grand scheme of 24 hours of your day is a very, very yeah. small percent. Right? I was thinking about that when I was, when I was talking about it it was like, it's 30 seconds of a day. Yeah. You know, and it's like this, the narrative was, uh, 23 hours, 59 minutes. <laughs> Uh, and 30 seconds of a day, you know? Right. Well, and that's the thing that I find so fascinating about my own relationship with anxiety is how much of my anxiety is, is really about my fixating on small, unpleasant things and just keeping them on loop. So it's... Oh, we can't just experience this the one time. We have to keep going and playing it again and again. And and yeah, it's like, I think if I were able to get past the fixation, uh, close the loop, um, then these issues wouldn't balloon up quite as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons, like some of the work I've done in therapy and it's, as a result, some of the work I even just do with friends now is like, I will offer a particular narrative about something in my life and then I will break down, okay, well, how is this narrative serving me mm-hmm. to, to feel the way I want to feel in life? Oh, it's not. Um, it's not yeah. And then just like with someone else, and this I think speaks to the connectedness part, like just try to figure out like, okay, well, what, what other narrative do, how can we re-spin it? Yeah. Like what, right. do, what do we tell ourselves about it instead? Yeah. Right. And it's, I mean, I, I, what if more than many, it's like, what if I just told somebody about it? What would happen if I did? And my God, that's the last thing uh, that it wants to be done is to be made known. Mm-hmm. The last thing it wants is to be made known. So um, I uh, experimented this morning a little bit with, uh, I'm just going to have this thing that is inconvenient, that is not comfortable. And I'm going to like intentionally not narrative any part of this. I'm not going to narrate. I'm just going to address literally the singular thing that is going on. And I'm going to address it before it weaves itself into tales of woe and destruction. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to see what happens. So uh, some of you may know Dr. Spiegel and I are instructors uh, at the college level. And you may know that there is a pandemic going on, uh, which is a catastrophe of unnecessary proportions here mm-hmm. um, in our great United States. And um, uh, so we're all teaching from home. Well, many of us are, most of us, not all. A couple still go, kind of go in for necessary things, but the vast majority of our fellow faculty are teaching classes much in the same way that Dr. Spiegel and I are. Mm-hmm. Um, from the prison like comfort of our own homes and uh, uh, so classes at 9 35 this morning and so the wi-fi of course went out around 8 30 so like shit and uh, something with our provider and a modem update they pushed for the wi-fi modems and it's like it broke the modem and then i had to do a patch update and then we had to restart whatever mm-hmm. and it's like oh my god i got an hour until class starts and the wi-fi's out and blah 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 and there were other things going on today that needed wi-fi in order to actually happen for the functioning of a household um, and so there's a lot of potential there to freak out, 
But, you know, in, in, in under 30 seconds, I went from, well, class starts an hour and I don't have Wi-Fi. Nah, I'll just get on my phone. I'll post a thing to Canvas. I'll say we're not having live class today. I'll record a couple of videos. I'll post them. Bada bing, bada boom. See you guys on Monday and we're done. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm just going to pull off the Band-Aid. I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to stick to it. I'm not going to fool around with any of this angst and worry. I'm not going to wait till 928 to make a decision and hope that things go on. I'm not going to call the internet provider and find out what's going on because it doesn't damn matter. This is a situation I'm in. I can guarantee Wi-Fi is going to be stable for my class. Uh, When it's not doing live, I'll record a couple of things on video and I'll post them. Mm -hmm. The world is still spinning, believe it or not. It's true. And you still maintained your contact hours with your students. I did. I yeah. did. You know. I, well, and that's the thing. So Monday, I ended up, I had student conferences, and I love my student conferences. And I had 16 of them planned for Monday. And I woke up. Actually, let's be clear. I did not wake up because I had not gone to bed. Right. Um, right. I rose from the prison that was my bed. Yeah. A lot of prison metaphors today. Yeah, um, yeah. And, like, I was just in excruciating pain, and I sent my husband out to, bless him, uh, out to the store at, like, 6 o'clock in the morning to go get some ibuprofen, because we didn't have any. Mm. Um, And he came back, and I said, you know, I think I might cancel my conferences today. And he was like, uh, yeah, yeah, that's obvious to everyone but you. Yeah, you're the last one to find that out. Right? Yeah, you know, sometimes a slow learner. Um, and so like I was doing all that mental gymnastics of, well, if I cancel these conferences, like what's going to happen and, and what are the dominoes and, uh-huh. and all the storytelling. And then I was just like, no, you know what? I'm just going to move them all to the next Monday. Yeah. And, uh, and they'll have to wait a little longer. And if they're really stressed about that, they can reach out to me. Uh, and I've heard from one student that was like, I was really looking forward to meeting with you. And I was like, cool, let's do it another time. You'll let's be fine. Done. You'll be fine. Yeah. She's going to be fine. Yeah. Sorry. Um, It'll be fine. But yeah, so I, it's so funny how like our expectations for what should happen or what we think is like, I am supposed to be delivering live class right now. I right. am supposed right. to be doing. It's it's kind of just another version of shooting ourselves, right? You literally said should when you were describing, <laughs> you know, it's it's actually a version of shooting. It's yeah, it is literally, right? it yeah. Is. Um, so, and and I think uh, your dear trusted mentor, right, would say it's just resistance. Yeah, it's just resistance. Right, that's all this is. And so we're seeing our expectations are not met. And so, okay, we need a different plan. And ultimately the plan is to ensure that we keep the connection with our students but we can do that in a lot more formats than we think. Yeah, I didn't. I, I mean, there's no way I could argue that I, I did not get that this morning, except for the one student who didn't check the messages, who's like, I can't get into the Zoom room. It's like, neither can I. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we addressed that quickly. Yeah. Um, and it's fine. And it's fine. And, um, but yeah, I did not get the my usual Wednesday morning connection with my, my students. And that kind of, that kind of is a bit of a bummer because I really do like to connect. And something that uh, you and I had talked about lately is uh, this notion of, can you form connection electronically on zoom with a group? 
mm-hmm. because we're hearing a lot of people talking about how hard it is. It's like, yeah, well, it's also hard to do it in person, just so you freaking know. So, or is it? Or is it? So, I mean, that's this is whole story. So, the narrative that is dominating social culture right now is that it's so much harder to connect with people on Zoom than it is in person. Period. Full stop. So, I think in order to explore this question, we should back up and ask. What does it mean to connect in the first place? Because I think that isn't, I don't think that's the same for everyone, maybe. Um, But so I'm curious, Paul, what happens that leads you to feel like you have a connection with another person? I need to get better at this podcasting thing, Sherry. I need to, when the big questions that like... or like these impossibly huge things and I have no idea what the answer is. I need to be the one that asks you. <laughs> Too often I'm finding that you're the one that actually comes up with these and asks me. So it's like, I got to get myself out of this mess. Um, I got to start coming up with good hard questions to ask you. Or often. you could just say, you know, I'm so fascinated by that question that I would love to hear you answer <laughs> Yeah, yeah that's an excellent question, Sherry. What do you think about that? Um, I I mean, a couple of things spring to mind off the, off the bat. So the question is... Uh, so if I understand it correctly, so I mean, I, I don't find it, I don't find it uh, impossible to form connection over the, over Zoom, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I don't find it often as challenging as some folks say it is. I do find it different. In some ways, mm-hmm. than 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 in person, I think. But uh, at the at the heart of it, it's sort of the same. Any connection in person, I think, or on the internet, requires both parties involved mm-hmm. to be engaged and interested and in being connected. I would agree. And so I'll do this thing, and uh, I've you know I've I've experimented with this a little bit with with a couple of different groups on on the web before and sure you've been in some of the meditation workshops that we offered i've been in i mean all you of them, yeah i mean you you can't say that there's not connection there um there there totally is and it's like oh it's not the same as in person I'm like no you're right it's not it's not the same as in person that doesn't mean that it's not connection and it's not real and it's not authentic and it's not valuable um i'm just not four feet away from you that, I mean, that's that's pretty much the difference there. But when when you can do it, you can um, you can form connection pretty in, in a pretty straightforward way. All you have to do is is look somebody in the uh, in the electronic slash Zoom eye, um, pick somebody out in particular, and say, "Let's do a thing." Do you want to do a thing? And they'll say, "Yeah, sure, let's do a thing." And I'll say, "Cool, let's be connected for a minute. Are you ready? One, two, three, go." For the next 30 seconds, let's be connected to each other. And we'll just sit there. Nobody will say a thing. And it's just being present and aware of the other person and feeling the intention that they're bringing to it, feeling the intention that I'm bringing to it. You know, and then after 30 seconds, it's like, what do you think? Connected? And they're like, absolutely. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. You know, so intention plays a part in it. It takes both people to do it. Um, A little secret that you and I have been whispering back and forth with each other. Uh, that we might not want to l- release into the public widely is 
are people as connected in person as they say they are? Because I'm not <laughs> sure if that's true. Because it's like, I'm always connected in person, but Zoom is so hard, you know? And it's it's not like, yeah, you're right. It's like, are you sure you were connected when you were in person? Are you sure you were connected? It's easier to think that you are when you're in person, I think, because they're right there. Proximity is, is, is closer, obviously. But, yeah. you know, I have doubts. I have doubts. I think we're better at faking it in person. You know, it's like one of these things, like, so you're in a class of 25 students and you look out across your populace in this classroom and it looks like everyone is looking directly at you. Um, maybe a couple of them have their computers up, but they're all writing down everything you say. They're, they're typing so away. It must be content. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's lies, right? Like half of that classroom is daydreaming about what they had for dinner. Uh, another half is like, Writing down their to-do list. Uh, I'm going to add a whole bunch of halves. Don't worry about the math. It's fine. Yeah, um, right. You know, another fraction, let's say that, of that class is doing their calculus homework, right? Like, But because they are playing the part of studious, we think, oh, they're connected. They're engaged. But what happens in the Zoom class is students, I think, are less used to playing the part of focused student yeah right? like right. when i was in high school i know i i think we've established i don't take notes um so what i would do is i would always be writing in high school but i be, would be writing notes in a notebook that i would between classes hand off to one of my two best friends but i always look the part of being studious oh yeah and, and i know how to thoughtfully nod with my professor and be like oh yeah, I have no idea what you're saying, but I'm going to keep doing the right head motions. I'm doing it now. Yeah, you're doing go it on, now. Yeah, go on, Cherry. It's really yeah, interesting. Paul is yeah, so interested in what I have to say. <laughs> it's amazing. But I think in Zoom, we're just less tuned in to, you know, how much are people paying attention to me? Can I tell when the teacher's looking at me? It's, it's a little bit of an issue of the panopticon. You don't know yeah. when someone's looking at you. Right. So right. while... You know, panoptic machines were designed to make everyone afraid that they were always being looked at. In a lot of Zoom spaces, because there isn't that direct eye contact, I think a lot of people just think they're off the hook. And so all of a sudden in the middle of class, you have people who are, you know, walking from their bedroom to their kitchen and they're making themselves a grilled cheese while they're in your class. Yeah. And so people are horrified by this and they're like, they're not paying attention to me. Friend, they weren't paying attention to you before. Yeah, they weren't paying attention before. And if they're so audacious to take their laptop into the kitchen and make a grilled cheese sandwich, they're probably listening. I got to be honest. You yeah. know, they're not tr- they're not trying to get away with anything. It's like, no, they're there. No. Um, I had a kid in my class last semester that would, would do that. It's like the class was early in the morning. It's like half the time he'd be in his kitchen whipping up an omelet or something. It's like, hey, Bob, what's going on? And he's like, well, nothing, you know, making a sandwich. I'm like, cool. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> it's like he was there as much as anybody else was was there, except he wasn't trying to hide the fact that he that he looked like he wasn't. It was like, it, it's, it's you know, the, the tr- I don't want to say trickery or the gamesmanship or anything like that um, involved with it. But it's an interesting dynamic that shows up. And mm-hmm. I... To to really sort of know whether or not somebody is truly engaged on a on a Zoom class, I think, and really connected, I think you have to look at, at some other things too. You have to you have to know the person a little bit, and you actually have to take the time to get to know get to know them mm-hmm. and and spend some time with them. Mm-hmm. And 
if you do that, I think often we find if we authentically connect with our students or with our friends or with whomever it might be, if we do that authentically um, as part of the status quo, as part of the regular, mm-hmm. the the issue of that becomes less important mm-hmm. because they know that there's an authentic connection there and they are invested and they do care and they will show up for you mm-hmm. and you could because you show up for them. Yeah. And, and that's part of the connectedness that you get. That's part of connection is, is trust. Mm-hmm. That it does go both ways. It does. And I think part of connection is meeting people halfway, um, but not assuming that you understand what their half looks like. Um, and that's yeah. something I'm finding right. a lot about this semester is, you know, when I did my one-on-one conferences, I had a lot of conversations about, you know, people that I finally got to see what they look like because they finally mm-hmm. turned on their camera one-on-one. Yeah. Um yeah. And so a lot of conversations like, well, hey, you know, this is the first time I've seen that you're a human. What's going on with that? You think you might turn on that camera during class? And it's a lot of like, well, what's happening with their own self-image issue? What's the pressure of everybody in class looking at them? Or the the case that I'm seeing more and more is, yeah, uh, I also have to keep my five-year-old brother settled at the table while I'm also in your class. And so... I turn off my camera so you're not distracted by the crazy kindergartner next to me. You know, it's like, it's a lot more complicated. Uh, So I think part of connection is staying curious about where the other party is at. Yeah, absolutely. 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 Um, And again, not really building any assumptions sort of into that. And a lot of what I'm seeing as well is that, if if a class was was in person, if people were meeting in person, they don't have the option of turning the camera on or off. Mm-hmm. But since we're on Zoom, they do, and therefore many of them do, you know, because they can, and it's it's a more comfortable experience for whatever they have going on in their own causes and conditions of their lives. And we, you know, we can't drag them onto the camera, yeah, you know, as a force of will. No, we really want to as a compassionate person on the earth. Well, but and I, think, I mean, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna teach a class, I made a conscious decision to do it publicly. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the things that's interesting for me is that I'm seeing a big shift in absenteeism. Um, mm. So, and I'll say this as a person who skips a lot of class as an undergrad, right? Um, like a whole lot of class. Like, God bless my chemistry TA. <laughs> From freshman year, I should not have passed that class mm. based upon my attendance. I don't remember his name. I need to look that up and like send him a gift basket. Um, but I just I you know I had I I've always wrestled with anxiety, and so you're right. You can't turn off your camera uh, in the physical classroom, and so sometimes the burden of being seen meant that I didn't go to class. Um, I remember being a master's student uh, who, you know, so I was a GTA, so I had an office in Shanks Hall at Virginia Tech. And I remember being in my office with the door closed when one of my classes was starting, Dr. Dan Mosser. And uh, Dan knocked on the door and like, like an idiot, I answered it. And he's like, "Uh, you're coming to class? And I was like, ugh. 
Gotcha. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, but it a lot of it was the stories I was telling myself about what it would mean to show up that day were so oppressive that I couldn't do it. Yeah, so I, right. I skipped a lot of school. Um, and I will say that when I was a two-way video uh, doctoral student, I skipped a lot less class because yeah. I could maintain safe distance. And when my anxiety got too bad, uh, quite honestly, I could have internet issues and I could take care of that. And then I can right. log back on. And so there's an interesting, there's something else happening in terms of what's happening with connection and opportunity. We're so focused on thinking about what's lost that I don't know if we're paying enough attention to new opportunities for people who experience space differently. Yeah. And, you know, all of this, and I'm not going to be so ridiculous as to say the good to come out of all of this because it's uh ridiculous to to do so i think um but a lot of a lot of conversations that were conveniently about connection mm-hmm. and about how we present ourselves and what we we tell ourselves a lot of those conversations were avoided and neglected because they could be mm-hmm. they could be um the money kept flowing. Uh, enough people did okay in order to make it not a thing that had to be addressed. Um, it 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 wasn't a conversation that you really had to have. It might be one you think you should, or it might have been timely to do. But a lot of these conversations were sort of avoided. And um, what what this has done, it has forced those conversations. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm taking this class and I want to learn this stuff and. Um, I need the college credit for what, because either because I'm interested or I'm trying to get a degree or I'm trying to transfer or just because I'm really interested in this and I want to do this thing. What about that requires me to have my camera on? Uh-huh. You know, and speaking of that, if I can do this just fine that way, then why have you been making me buy a parking pass and go to campus every day if this works just fine? Um, yeah. And I mean, as we've been, you know, and there's there's stories that we tell about that. I mean, there's narratives that we say about that. Well, people learn better in person. Is that true? Um, is uh, well, people really just like the on-campus experience. Is that true? Um, I think it's more conventional. I think it's more convenient. I think it's more understood because it's been going on for 800 years. But I'm not sure if if those actual hypotheses are are true or true, uh-huh. um, because I've seen students over the last six months perform at or above or just as admirably at the level of, of college work that I've been doing as they always have been. And some people do great and some people do less great. And some people, most people turn stuff in on time and some people don't turn anything in, and some people don't turn anything in at all. I mean, I, I, I don't see a difference here yeah. in the way that this is, the whole thing is being approached, except for a couple of things. Um, you don't have to buy a parking pass. And a lot of people who were very, were forced into discomfort by the traditional model of it um, are no longer burdened by a lot of that. And they were able to do things differently, mm-hmm. um, which makes it easier for them, them to do. And the burden then becomes more on the instructor and the person, however, to say, okay, the, one of the conversation that gets forced is what does it mean to be, if I want to be connected to my students, if I want this, if I want to, if that's important to me, 
how do I get it on the internet? And so you have to shift your attention a little bit, or at least I had to shift my intention a little bit more to the intentionality of it. And it's like, I think that helps just to call it out. It's like, hey, it's the internet. The internet's hard. So um, we're going to focus on intention so we can form a better connection with ourselves. So let's go around the room and everybody tell me two things that you're feeling right now. Mm-hmm. And we we do a shared collective experience where we focus on connection and intention and showing people who we really are. And um, as far as I've seen, and you may have seen it too in your classes, just little things like that. Uh, connection is not a problem. No. Connection is not a problem. And that's when I get into, are you sure you were as connected as you thought you were when you were in person? Yeah. Well, but I mean, I do think, so if he, I, I, yeah. So I think that that is still an issue. Like, I think we, we trick ourselves into thinking that we had more connection than we did. I do think the connection feels different, right? Um, and s- some of it's quite frankly quite selfish. Like, yeah, I'm sorry, right. but I am so hilarious and no one is laughing at my jokes because they're all on mute to be polite. It's yeah. terrible, right? Um, if you could kindly unmute yourself and laugh at me, that would be, der- well, not laugh at me, with me. With you. Know, <laughs> with me, with me. Or, or with at, me. that's Maybe fine at, too, right? At least they're, they're listening if it's at. Right? But yeah, so I mean, I, I don't know. I think that there's, you know, the connection is different. Uh, but I think, I think I am trying to, like, I can't change the difference. All I can do is live and learn in it. Right. But I will say, sort of looking beyond the classroom, I think what it looks like to stay connected during the pandemic, I think it does look different to me. Um, And there are times, and especially because, you know, I think a lot of people are sort of at home with the other members of their household intensively. Um, I'm, that's not my experience. Like I'm at home, my husband goes to work, I stay home. Um, and so one of the things that I'm noticing that is a big difference in terms of connection is sometimes a full calendar week will go by between times that I see another human whose name I know other than my husband, mm-hmm. like in person. Um, and the reality of that is it does it does something to the idea of connectedness. And it's not something I like to dwell on especially much, but I have been thinking more I have had to think more purposefully about what does it look like or mean for me to actually have connection to another person? Mm-hmm. And how can I facilitate that during these times? And for me, connection isn't just a series of text messages with another human. Right. It's something different. Um, So I've been asking myself like a lot lately, um, how do you know that you've had a strong connection? What are you looking for in connection with someone? Wow. See, you did it again. It's like, really? Really? That's an excellent question, Sherry. Well, and I did say what would you, I was what would you asking offer? myself. I did not say I'm <laughs> what would you currently going to ask Paul Fitzgerald. <laughs> what would you offer? Um, what was the question again? It was so important. I want to hear it again. Um, what was that question? What was that? Well, now I can't say it perfectly again, Paul. Yeah, it was great the first time. Uh, we can rewind and listen. Um, 
I think it's just a matter of like, what does it actually look like to know that you've had a meaningful connection with someone? It's a felt sense. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. Um, Point to where you feel it. Can you describe it? Uh, You know, um, there is a sense of satisfaction, I think, that comes with it. There might be a uh, feeling of success with uh, whether or not you are living this life the right way or as intended or something. Uh, I don't know, but it is a felt sense. Mm -hmm. It is a felt sense. And I mean, we can, if we look at the analytics of it and just kind of think about what our brain says, it's like, I just had a meaningful connection with this person. Did you? Did you? You know, and this is where texting gets us into trouble. There was the show on Netflix recently, whatever the big movie that's going around about how social and social networks have Mm -hmm. engineered neurochemistry to for the addiction and how it's resulted essentially in the downfall of civilization because nobody is really connected. And I don't remember what the name of it is, but it just came out a little bit ago. Um, And, you know, you hear all these people saying, wow, we never really knew that this was going to completely undermine, uh, you know, connection and the nation, the notion of connection within people. And, you know, I watch it and I have to show, I'm just like shaking my head. It's like, this is the dumbest thing ever. And it's not (laughs) dumb because they're wrong. They're absolutely right. You know, people thinking they were doing something good, you know, ultimately ended up doing something that unraveled, you know, human society and the nature of connection. And afterwards I said, you know what? I'm happy to listen to this movie. It's well-made. It's pretty interesting. It'll be much easier to listen to when all these people are wearing like orange prison suits, (laughs) you know, but they're not right. They're having these cavalier and flippant conversations from their home in Pasadena, you know, or, you know, Silicon Valley talking about, Oh yeah, we never knew it was going to unravel society. Ha ha ha. And it, it, in what what we do, it's like in, in what texting does, and I'm not saying texting is bad. I think it's here to stay. I mean, what it would be do? convenient for Paul to think that texting is bad. Super, super. Like then I wouldn't have it. this burden of having to do it all the time. Um, but let's not kid ourselves. I mean, I I'll, I'll text with somebody for an hour and a half, and then I'll chat with them on Zoom for ten minutes, and it's like the ten minutes was far more connectivity than this other thing. And it's it's more, I think. I mean, when I say in person now, I also include Zoom in that, believe it or not, because it's like, you're right here. I'm right there. It's real time. We're interacting with each other in person. Um, and and that's interesting how that kind of shift has, has happened mm-hmm. uh, a little bit too. But um, you don't get the felt sense of connection through a text that you do when you're actually doing it real time live with the person responding directly to you and i can't i can't say in front of you on a screen you know because i don't think it's it's that i think it's it's knowing that the person is actively listening as you're saying the thing Mm -hmm. that might be but i mean even with with the text that's not happening because i mean there's a lag it's either an hour or you know, four seconds between when you type and send that they actually read it and respond. And that, that pause is, is severing connection. That pause severs connection, Hmm. you know? So I I think true connectivity and and being connected, 
it's fun to write letters to people and send them in the mail. Um, but with that, I mean, you don't get a sense of disappointment that it didn't work, that you don't feel connected with the person you're sending a letter to. You know they're not going to get it for a couple of days, mm-hmm. you know. But how much heat do people catch because they didn't text back right away? I mean, that's been going on since texting was invented when we were doing it on a Motorola, you know, Razor flip phone you know, that, that started to happen. Um, it's when you know that the person is not actually engaged while you're doing it, that that's, it's, it's time. It's Mm -hmm. time, right? It's a lag time severs the connectivity. Well, and there are so many things about the technology that like fosters the sense of disconnectedness. Like, um, I hate, and I think I have it turned off on my iPhone. I think I still have it on for maybe WhatsApp. But I think that's probably because I only use WhatsApp with you and my husband. Right. Um, But like the whole idea of like being able to see when other people are active and when they have read things, this does terrible things for for connection. Right. Especially if we're storytellers. Right. So you can see, oh, I said a thing and the person saw it and they didn't respond. Turn that shit off. So I'm going to go ahead and tell 17 stories about the reason they're not responding. And they all have to do with how much they loathe me personally. And then you find out later, well, my house was on fire. And so I was evacuating the building. You know, it's like, yeah, it's never yeah. the story you think it is. Right. Right. Um, but it's I don't know. It's interesting. I used to put a lot of stock in. uh sort of that text exchange. And I think the more that we've been quarantined, the less I'm starting to value that in some ways because it it does feel... It feels different in ways that I can't quite articulate yet. Um, but it's interesting. Some of what I think would make me feel connected in person... Um, has a lot to do with like what you described, like that felt sense. Like when you're walking away from an interaction with a person and you can sort of check in with yourself and see, Hmm, how did that feel? Okay. I I get a sense of that. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the things that happens when you live your life on zoom, especially if you aren't like moving around and changing locations and things like that is it does create the sense where every interaction feels exactly the same. Um, And I think there's something that happens in the physical space. Like, so I don't interact with every human in my life in the same way. Like, I don't stand as close uh, to some humans as I do to others. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't make eye contact with all the people in my life. Um, I certainly don't hug or or touch most of the humans in my life. Um, But in this environment, I have the same exact physical interaction with every person I talk to. Mm -hmm. And I think that for me is one of the things that leads to it feeling somewhat disconnected. And so it feels like there has to be this intentional work towards something that breaks that mold. So like you and I, for example, we only see each other, I don't know, once every couple of months, yeah, a couple times a month, a couple times a month. Um, but we see each other on zoom quite a bit. Um, And one of the things that I think makes our Zoom calls sometimes feel different is sometimes we communicate by shutting up. Like we just look at each other. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> and that's the intentionality that is brought. Yeah. It's the intentionality that is brought. Mm-hmm. Sorry, we're audience. Doing it now. Now yeah, we're, we're doing it now. Yeah, we're doing it now. We're doing it now. We're just going to have yeah. a moment. You hang tight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're soaking in it now. Um, all right. So everyone listening, let's just kind of be intentionally quiet for a, <laughs> for the next 10 minutes, right? I'm kidding. Um, let's all be connected. We could do it, but we could do it, right? And mm-hmm. it might not be a, a bad thing. Well, with our morning meditation group sometimes, Sherry, it's like what we would what we were originally do. And some people do this and some people don't. Um, it's like usually we turn our cameras off for an hour as we're doing our thing. But oftentimes we leave our audio on. Mm-hmm. You know, audio is left on. It's like you still get these cues that you are, there is somebody on the other end of the line, you know, doing something as well. And and that, then just knowing that, mm-hmm. that you're in an intentional space where people are maintaining connection, although as fleeting as it is with just the audio coming in from something, is enough to do it. I mean, it doesn't take this huge thing. It'd be this little reminder every once in a while somebody's bird chirping on the other end of the Zoom, um, but that is 20 miles away from you, yet you're you're real-time in it right now. Mm-hmm. It's not actually the individual over there that's doing the thing. It's their environment is making a sound that you can pick up on that reestablishes connection. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting, I think, Especially like when I think of people I haven't seen in a long time or like family members that I've lost, the things that I really remember about my connection to them are often the things that I can't experience in Zoom. Right. Right. Like, so, um, like it, I was t- explaining this to my friend Melanie the other day, like, um, I really associate people with their smell. Um, and so like my grandfather, for example, like, uh, there are certain, uh, aftershave that when I get a whiff of that, like my grandfather is in my head instantly. Right. right. right? Um, and so like I was telling my friend, uh, our friend Melanie the other day, um, that there are certain people that I feel like I just need to get near them and smell them again to make sure like, are we still, okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're still you. Yeah, that's biological. I mean, that that has neurological implications um, for a social species like ours. Um, when I uh, this is why Paul doesn't like mind the fact that every time I see him, I take a moment and smell him. Like, okay, I mean, yeah, we've I guess been doing that for two million years. We species has been doing that, I think. Um, but yeah, we are very olfactory species. You know, dogs do it better, but you know, we're not bad at it either. Mm-hmm. Um, but every time I go back to the, you know, the the house where I was raised in St. Louis, it's like as soon as you walk in the door, you smell exactly what that smells like. And it's like all this comes back. Mm-hmm. All this comes back. And you're connected with a past mm-hmm. that occurred in that same place. You know, that sense of smell just really rockets right up into the memory banks, it seems, mm-hmm. um, to reassociate you with all those experiences and times and emotions and people and everything that kind of came along with it in a physical space. Mm-hmm. And that can be jarring sometimes and intense. Yeah. Sometimes. Well, and so that's why there's shit that happened in these places yeah. <laughs> that were great. And there's stuff that happened in these places that might not have been so great. And you're going to get them all. You right. can get them all. And you don't get to really choose. Right. And well, and I think that's part of the issue of like the quarantine is that every experience has the exact same smell, right? Yeah, a lot of like, the nuance is stripped out, right? The metadata is kind of stripped out of it a little. 
Yeah, it's like I part of me kind of wants to get like a grand collection of candles and just like light different candles, like like a very Pavlovian thing. Like, okay, you are now talking to Paul. Light this candle. Oh, now you are having an interaction with Melanie. It's actually a really interesting idea. Right? I might experiment with that, actually. It's actually a really interesting idea. Let's buy a bunch of candles and see if they help us connect to humans. I don't know. I have to think about that. That's really interesting. Right? Because we do that as a species, too. We we use olfaction and smell as a way to associate ourselves into different sort of mind states and things like that. Oh, how interesting. Yeah. How interesting. It's the whole thing, you know, like um, if, if a real estate agent is selling a house, they'll like bake cookies or something like that right before because it's like, ah, it smells like home. And uh, you're more likely to buy it if it smells like a comforting place where you were. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, what an interesting idea. I wonder, Inten- like, would it work for our students? Know? Like, what if every time you're studying, studying for, uh, you know, history, you light one particular – particular candle and then you light that candle when you're working on the exam is it going to draw to mind what you need i'm super curious i am super curious about that i am super curious about that uh, how interesting what if how interesting i might try to play that out so what have we learned about connection here sherry it's complicated or is it or is it i mean uh, it's hard to describe, but you know it when you feel it. Yeah, just like pornography, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. That was so, the commission I, on pornography, right? You don't can't define it, but you know it when you feel it. Yeah, you see it. I think what we're seeing is that connection has an intentionality to it, and that even though we're in Zoom, we just have to change what intentionality looks like. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, and I think part of it is, you know, our students, much like us, we're all learning what it looks like to be intentional in this space, right? So the set of cues of what am I doing that might not be communicating to my my professor, my boss, my colleagues, my second cousin, like whoever you're talking to, what am I doing that might not be communicating connection? And, you know, part of it, I wonder, is how much of it is just about checking in with the people that you want to be connected with. Yeah, right. Like, how you doing? You feeling connected over there? Yeah, maybe that's the, maybe we're asking the wrong questions because it's like, how you doing? Everything okay? It's like, yeah, what do you, I mean, what kind of answer do you think you're going to get? What kind of answer do you think you're going to get? It's going to be kind of a mild one. So do we think um, that connection is possible these days if we... Uh, kind of go into the nature of it knowing that it's not going to be the same and get rid of the resistance to it being different than it was. If we slay those dragons at once, we can find a new opportunity to find connection. Uh, yeah. In days are... as complex as these. Yeah. These, I mean, these are such interesting questions. I just started reading a new book. I feel like I always talk about whatever I'm reading. Yeah, you read a lot. Yeah, we need to write these down and start a reading list. Yeah. Um, so I'm now reading a book called Big Friendship, uh, which is by the creators of the podcast, my favorite podcast, uh, Call Your Girlfriend. And mm-hmm. it's basically about like these two like long distance best friends uh, who figured out that they had lost their connection. And then they basically worked on finding their way back to each other. Um, And I'm always really interested in narratives about how 
communities of people, be it duos or partners or whoever it is, like how people develop community and how they maintain it and how they sustain it. And so that's what this whole book seems to be about is like, uh, you know, they're long distance. So they've been doing, you know, the disconnected thing yeah, forever. Right. But I think what they've been able to discover is ways back to each other, hmm. even in times of disconnection. But I think a lot of it, what I mean, I'm only like 20 pages in. It seems like there has to be a lot of intentionality to it. Um, and I think in days when we're in person, we didn't have to talk about it, right? Like, I, you don't have to be like, do you want to be my friend? Check yes or no. Yeah, um, right. But I think, you know, some of it right now has to be like, you know what? I really want to be in this thing with you. How do we make sure that we keep this thing going? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, what an awesome conversation. It's good, to, it's good to connect again and talk about these awesome things. Um, I'm trying not to boil connection and the changing nature of it down to what Clea would say, which would be, ah, oh, it's just resistance, you know, um, resistance to the new way of things, resistance to a notion of what connection represents, uh, a resistance of trying to do it the old way, just over a different platform. You know, it can be done, I think. Yeah, I think so. I mean, but I think it's so, it is resistance, but it's also like, I think co connection is like one of the most fundamental human characteristics. Yeah, for sure. It's exactly sure. what we are. For sure. Yeah. So. For anything we're that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. Well, thanks, Paul. Thank you, Sherry. Right. Thank you, listener. Um, if this has uh, piqued any questions or comments uh, that you would like to weigh in on, we'd love to hear what you have to say. And you can, of course, find us on the socials. There are many ways to connect with us. <laughs> oh, boy. Cool. Awesome. Uh, thanks, everybody. I'll see you soon, Sherry. All right. See you later, Paul. Cool. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. This podcast is produced by Sherry Spiegel, Paul Fitzgerald, and This Most Unbelievable Life. For more information, please check us out at www.thismostunbelievablelife.com. Paul and Sherry have a Paul podcast. Paul and Sherry podcast, yes. Yes.